joining us for another one-up episode for the Diary of an Arcade Employee podcast. Remember, these one-up podcasts are shorter, generally, than the standard episode and will focus on different subjects than just arcade titles. This week, we are focusing on an action game that was released in 1982 for the Mattel Electronics and Television, a game that means a great deal to me as it is a tie-in to a film from that year that I hold very dearly. I'm going to be talking about the classic in television game, Tron Deadly Discs. Not every great movie or great arcade game makes a great home video game. That's why when Mattel Electronics turned Tron into Tron Home Video Games, we made sure the excitement of Tron gameplay found its way into your home. You'll know it the moment you square off against a recognizer, if you last that long. Four great Tron games, two for Intellivision, two for Atari 2600. From Mattel Electronics, games as good as we say they are, maybe better. When Tron first hit the big screen on July 9th of 1982, I was not only ready for it, but I was practically jumping up and down in my seat before the film began. At 10 years old, as I've talked about on the show before, I fully was suffering from video game fever. Pretty much all of my thoughts from the moment I woke up to going to bed involved video games, and to be fair, Star Wars 2. Now, I had not seen any trailers for Tron, but I was enamored with that beautiful one-sheet poster featuring both Tron and Yori, played by Bruce Boxleitner and Cindy Morgan. I had been able to see clips of the movie on television, and while I was interested in the fact that computers had been used to provide some of the effects for the movie, the bigger draw was that it involved video games. When I left the auditorium of the Razorback Theater, with the sweeping score by Wendy Carlos ringing in my ears, I was pleasantly surprised to find that a Tron arcade game was waiting in the lobby. I'm pretty sure that I would have died if my father hadn't been kind enough to let me have a couple of quarters and play the game. It was short, but made all the more magical with the soundtrack from the film still playing behind me from the open doors of the auditorium. I loved and still love Tron, and its sequels, and especially its CGI animated series Tron Uprising. Back in the day, besides a few action figures, some nifty light cycle toys, there were some puzzles and a board game, but it was slim pickings for Tron merchandise on the whole. At least, though, we not only had the Bally Midway exceptional arcade game that I've talked about on an earlier podcast, but there was also 1983's Discs of Tron, which was also produced and manufactured by Bally Midway. That, however, was not a game I had the chance to play in the arcades of my youth. My first chance to play it came when they rolled the massive environmental cabinet in through the doors of the Arcadia Retrocade. But at least I had the home console versions of the Tron games. 
In fact, when I learned there was going to be not one, but two games based off the movie, actually there would be a third Tron title towards the end of the Intellivision's life, this news pretty much set in stone that our family would have to obtain an Intellivision. Don't get me wrong, I wanted one anyway, but the lure of being able to play Tron Deadly Discs and Mazatron was too strong to resist. Thanks to my grandmother, both of those dreams came true, and I really cannot tell you how many, many hours I spent in front of the television playing Deadly Discs. My grandmother was quite a fan of the game too, but it really became my go-to game for the longest time. One of those reasons was because Deadly Discs is sort of based off the scene in the film where Flynn first sees Tron in action, squaring off against enemy combatants, loyal programs of the Master Control program in the digital equivalent of a gladiatorial ring. Hey, who's that guy? That's Tron. He fights for the users. Tron? I've read online that the rough game design was done by Don Duglow, who not only created the second most popular version of a Star Trek computer game in 1972, but also came up with Dungeon in 1975, one of the earlier role-playing games that was using the Dungeons & Dragons rules. Unofficially, of course. These were both played on college campuses of the time, accessed through PDP-10 mainframe computers. Don also designed a handful of Intellivision titles like Utopia, which I believe is the very first sim game, Shark Shark, Buzz Bombers, and Pinball, a title that I don't recall ever seeing before in the stores. Daglo would go on to work with Electronic Arts. There he was involved with such games as The Adventure Construction Kit, Mail Order Monsters, and Super Boulder Dash, to name a few. It was in 2003 that Don was awarded the CGE Achievement Award for groundbreaking accomplishments that shaped the video game industry. Tron Deadly Discs was programmed by Steve Sense, who it looks like might have also did a bit of designing himself on the game. Deadly Discs, however, is the only credit I found for Steve, although the graphics are credited to Eric Wells, who also handled graphics and art for the Intellivision ports of Defender, Pac-Man, and Centipede in 1983, as well as for Mazatron in 1982. Sound effects in Tron Deadly Discs, as sadly there is no music, was handled by Bill Goodrich, who also provided the sounds for the Intellivision port of Taito's Lock and Chase. In addition, he worked on the sound design for the Intellivoice title Space Spartans and provided music for the Intellivision port of Burger Time, to just name a few. Curiously enough, I've read that the game designers were working on the Tron titles while the film was being completed. They were given access to production art and stills. I bring this up because I find it extremely curious that in Tron Deadly Discs, the player takes on the role of Tron, who now just happens to be red-hued instead of blue. This is obviously based off that introduction of Tron from the film that I just mentioned. In the game, with one to two players taking alternate turns, needing to keep Tron from being de-rezzed by the now blue-colored MCP warriors. All the action takes place on a single screen, the arena of the game grid. The walls that keep Tron within are black, with three blue-colored doors appearing in said walls from either the left, top, bottom, and right sides, opening up to release the warriors of the MCP, although only three warriors will step into the area at any time. 
The doors will close if they haven't been locked open when a new warrior steps onto the grid. Clearing out these three warriors in a stage before a replacement steps in will earn you pretty big bonus points. I'll touch on that in a moment. What I mean about clearing the stage is say you have dispatched two warriors but are having a difficult time with the third. If too much time passes, a new foe will step into the arena, but still only up to three enemies on the screen at one time. If that occurs though, you lose your chance at the bonus. Like in the Tron film, the weapons of choice are the program's identity discs, with the control disc on the Intellivision controller used to move Tron across the arena floor. It is the keypad that controls where Tron hurls his yellow disc, which is eight different directions by the way, up and down, diagonally in those directions, as well as left and right. <laughs> After Tron throws his identity disc, he can summon it back to him by pressing any of the keypad buttons. If it makes contact with a wall or a door, it will return to you, but it moves a bit quicker if you summon it back, and it just looks cool. When you throw your disc at an enemy, it travels across the screen, looking like a horizontal disc. But when summoning it back, it resembles a square. It will not be harmful if it comes into contact with an MCP warrior this way. This is true of the returning discs of your enemies as well. The middle keypad button, or the five button, since without the overlay for the Intellivision controller, you were looking at a numeric keypad. That allows a player to block. Tron will squat down and raise his disc, assuming he hasn't thrown it. If you have thrown the disc, the block button will just make Tron hunker down, which can be useful when ducking the enemy's discs if they're coming at your head. Blocking a thrown disc will result in the warrior's disc being destroyed, unable to attack you for a little bit. <coughs> FYI, blocking and destroying an enemy's disc will net you the same amount of points as derezzing an opponent. I'll get to that in just a moment, because believe it or not, scoring is a bit more important in Tron Deadly Discs than just for bragging rights. Thankfully, the enemy cannot block Tron's discs. In the beginning levels, the first couple of waves of enemies you will face are colored light blue. As you progress in stages, you will encounter dark purple warriors. These have been nicknamed Bulldog Warriors, and it takes two hits of your identity disc to derez them. Then there is the Dark Blue Warriors. These are nicknamed Leaders, and when they step onto the game grid, all foes will be able to throw their discs with better accuracy. In addition, these enemies are able to carry more powerful identity discs. If they hit you with a brown disc, it's going to hurt. It counts as two hits, and depending on the player's health, it might just outright derez you. If a leader throws a white disc, prepare to be chased in the arena, as it's a homing disc. Remember, of course, you can still block the incoming discs if you're quick enough. And thankfully, it only takes one strike of your identity disc to dispatch a leader. <laughs> Last but not least are the orange-colored guards. They do not carry identity discs, but paralyzing sticks. It takes four hits of a player's identity disc to dispatch a guard. If these loyal minions of the MCP strike Tron with their paralyzing sticks, though, he has been stunned and captured, and the game is immediately over. I mentioned the doors in the game just a second ago. A player can throw their disc at a door. If it connects, it will lock it open, turning it green. <laughs> The reason you want to do this is when a door is locked, in the same location on opposite walls, the player can use this as a teleport to appear on the other side of the stage, when, like in later levels, the MCP warriors are hurling discs at you with deadly accuracy. They allow you an escape route. This is a good point to talk about the scoring, because depending on how well your score is, it determines how strong Tron is. You see, when the game begins, Tron can be hit three times by an enemy's disc before he's derezzed. 
Taking a hit will slow Tron down, which as you can imagine makes things a lot tougher. In the case of the beginning, after being struck two times, you're just moving at a snail's pace, which is why blocking becomes an important skill to learn. Having said that, after you've earned 20,000 points, Tron will be able to take four hits from the MCP Warrior's discs before being derezzed. When you've amassed 100,000 points, the player can be hit five times before being destroyed. Now, I need to add that the MCP Warriors, just like Tron, can shake off these wounds after a certain amount of time has passed. Although, in later stages, I've found it's just too hard to stay moving and alive for this effect to be too much help. A player's score also affects which MCP Warriors will appear and how deadly they are. When you reach 5,000 points, all of the enemies get quicker and throw better. You'll be dealing with the light blue variety in Bulldog Warriors. Beginning at 10,000 points is when a leader will step onto the game grid. At the million point mark, that is when you'll have to start dealing with the guards. In addition, your score affects how many points you're going to get for dispatching the warriors of the MCP. On the first stage, you will get 50 points for each foe you derez. Remember, I mentioned bonus points earlier? If you take out all three warriors of the MCP before a replacement can show up, you'll get five times the current point value for derezzing your opponents. So, using the first stage as an example, you would get 250 bonus points. When a player has earned 1,000 points, the enemies are worth 100 for each kill. 150 at 2,000 earned points, 250 for 3,000, 300 for 5,000, at 10,000, you'll be getting 750 points for every warrior derezzed, 1,000 after you've scored 15,000, 1,250 after reaching 20,000 points, 1,500 after 25,000, 2,000 points per MCP warrior at 30,000 points, 2,500 once you've topped 40,000, 3,500 after 50,000 points, 5,000 for each MCP warrior after 75,000, and 10,000 points per warrior once you've cracked a million. Whew. Remember, yet again, blocking an enemy's thrown disc will get you the same amount of points as derezzing the enemy, so you can see how in later stages the score can really start adding up. For what it's worth, that score of a million points is quite doable. I vividly recall my grandparents cheering me on one afternoon as I reached that goal. I didn't last too long after that with the orange-colored guards, but I felt a little like I had the skill of Tron afterwards. Now then, there is one more enemy you will face when playing Tron Deadly Discs. Not Sark, the loyal minion of the MCP, but Recognizers. They show up after you have managed to lock open a door and use it to teleport to the other side of the screen. Only one will appear, and that's enough, because quite frankly, they are rather large. After it floats up to the middle of the screen, it will begin firing black squares at those locked open doors closing them, so you will want to lock open as many doors as you can to keep it there longer. The Recognizer has a large eye on the top of its green-hued domed head. That eye moves around, and you will need to hit it dead on from either the left, right, or from the top to destroy it, but only when it's turned from purple to white. Otherwise, your disc will just bounce off of it. You'll want to not just stop it from closing the doors you've locked to open, but because you'll get 10 times the amount of the warrior point value when you take it out. Now the bad news on the recognizer is that if you touch the red-hued enemy, you're automatically derezzed. Game over. Second, it will attempt to fire off a paralyzer probe, which, if it hits you, 
will stun you, of course. Once the doors have been closed, the recognizer will depart the stage and you will be free to move around again. And friends, I really think that is all I have to say about Tron Deadly Discs. Except for maybe that this really is a special game. Much like Robotron 2084, when a player gets into the groove, it's really fun to watch. After you get pretty good at it, it's an absolute blast to be running in one direction while hurling into resing a foe in the opposite direction. It becomes almost second nature. That solid gameplay is what kept me going back to it again and again and again. In fact, I wish that Disney would give us an updated version of the game. That would be something pretty amazing to play, I bet. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to listen to the show. And I hope you're enjoying these one-up episodes. The Diary of an Arcade Employee is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and even Spotify. So if you have a moment, why not subscribe and help us get the word out on the show by leaving a review and some comments. Helping the podcast reach new listeners is always appreciated. You can find out more about the Arcadia Retrocade by visiting Facebook. Or, if you want daily posts, you can check out the Diary of an Arcade Employee podcast Facebook page. I share all manner of vintage arcade and home console fun multiple times a day. If you have any feedbacks or comments about the podcast, you can always reach me on Facebook or throw me an email at vicsage at retroist.com. You can also often find me posting videos and photos of the arcade on my Instagram account, which is simply vicsage underscore. Naturally, I want to thank the Retroist. For almost 10 years, the Retroist has been a spot to share my love of all things retro. If you need to check out the best collection of retro-related articles and podcasts, why not hop on over to The Retroist? Now, have a token on me. As we listen to a clip from the subject of the arcade game, I will be discussing on the next show. This has been a Retroist production. Thank you for listening, and have a better one. Goodbye. End of line.